Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Eating Habits. We are coming to a close for the 2022 Charlotte Restaurant Week. It's been a great week at La Belle Helene and Church and Union Charlotte. We've had some great services. Tons of new guests have come out and um, give our restaurants a try. Um, The reviews look pretty good. The services have been awesome. The teams have really put out amazing food all week. I'm super proud of them. Great job, everybody. This week's episode, I'm going to catch up with a friend of mine, Chef William Disson. He's kind of known as being the ambassador for Appalachian Cuisine. Um, in North Carolina and kind of all over the Southeast. So he's got a lot to talk about, really good guy, super involved in kind of what's going on in the culinary scene. So um, I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, it's Chef William Disson, and you're listening to Eating Habits. Hey, what's up, Chef? What's up, man? How you doing today? Great. Thanks for being here. Yeah, stoked to see you. Yeah. I'm glad to finally get you into the hot seat. Yeah. You've been on my radar for a while, but I know we've been, everybody's been busy trying to like get all their businesses straight after COVID and all that and figure out what's next. Um, so I wanted to give you, you know, wait, wait, so I kind of got the, the operation going before I got you in the hot seat. Yeah. Excited to be here, man. Always good to catch up. Yeah, man. Okay, cool. Let's get started. Tell me your story. Where did you, you're, you're, you are a, are you an Appalachian kid? Appalachian. Oh, see, <laughs> look at that. I'm from the North. There you go. <laughs> okay. Appalachian. Yep. Like Appalachia. <laughs> got it. Okay. So tell me about that. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, it all started on a dark, stormy, you know, dark, stormy <laughs> night. No, uh, no, born and raised Charleston, West Virginia. Um, Charleston, West Virginia. Yeah, capital of West Virginia. Nice. Um, Mountain State. Born and raised there. You know, grew up in the suburbs, uh, right off of State Park, and spent my youth, you know, playing in the woods, running around, being a kid. Yep. Was it was all your kind of family in that area? Was it like you have like grand folks there and all that? Like you had that was kind of like the the community where you're you're. Yeah, well, my my mom's from rural West Virginia. My dad's from Pittsburgh. Cool. So uh, he worked for a gas company, moved to Charleston in the 70s, uh, met my mom, and you know, the rest is history. Cool. Uh, so I, you know, growing up with family, I spent my time at my grandmother's farm in rural West Virginia. And then I'd go to the big city in Pittsburgh, right, and go hang out with my family there. Um, so it was kind of a nice dichotomy. I got to see a little bit of big city yeah. um, and then got to see, you know, the, the country roots and the farm roots, um, yeah. which I'd say, you know, both kind of really, really like you know, implanted on me, like who I became as a person, as a chef. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about this farm. <clears throat> what, what kind of farm was it? So, um, you know, my mom's side, I mean, they were meager folks. They lived truly up in the holler, mm-hmm. uh, up in the mountains and they had a, a large farm they lived on and they, they lived off the land and they didn't do it because it was like the Brooklyn hipster DIY trend. Right. They right. did it because like, that's how you fed your family. Yeah. So, um, they had a, a large garden, you know, they were, uh, they had honeybees to pollinate the garden. You know, the garden was built right off a stream so they could irrigate it. You know, they had a canning cellar where, you know, in the summertime we'd sit there and shuck beans and shuck corn and, um, and then put it up. You know, as a kid, I just thought, oh, this is so boring. You know, like, I just want to yeah. go play video games. I hate and this. I hate this. Like, <laughs> well, we're my friends. You know, and fast forward now, it's like what I wouldn't give for the opportunity to sit on the front porch and yeah. shuck some beans with my grandmother and listen to her stories about, you know, about eating and farming and cooking. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Did you guys eat together as a family? Was that like something you guys did or is it kind of, you know, you'd spend time with your, your grand grandma and then, you know, your mom and dad and then, or was it the kind of thing where you guys would get together and as a family, you know, growing up, I had older sister, younger sister, both my parents worked and we would sit down and have family dinner every night and it yeah. wasn't fancy yeah. high on the hog. I mean, you know, some nights it was, you know, Swanson's TV dinner, right? Sure. <laughs> um, but my mom cooked a fair amount also, you know, we had a little garden we grow in the summer. You know, my dad was the standard dad and he was the grill master, right? You know, cooking well done steaks. And, yep. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very familiar. <clears throat> yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was, you know, I, I now as a as a parent with uh, two children, you know, I, some days I'm like, I don't know how they did that. Yeah. You know, I get home from work if I'm not working at night, and you know, to put dinner on the table for four people, yeah. you know, it's like a chopped episode. It's like, okay, I got 30 minutes. What's in the fridge? Right. Oh shit. Okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if, it's funny. I do a lot of my best cooking now that way. Yeah. Like I, Corey and I joke about that all the time because. Like, we're so busy running around just doing what we do that like when we were going to feed ourselves, we don't have time to go to the, the store or whatever. We'll just open the fridge and be like, okay, what's in here? Right. Maybe I grabbed a, you know, a handful of mushrooms or something from one of the restaurants. I'm like, okay, this is the base of what we're doing. Right. Open up the cupboard and it's like, here we go. And sometimes we come up with some good stuff. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> you know, my, my kids are, are pretty good eaters. My wife is from, uh, is an immigrant from India. So we eat a lot of vegetarian Indian food, which nice. Know, I whine about is that. Is she vegetarian? She is, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Eats eggs, dairy, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I could ever be married to a vegan. Yeah. yeah. Bless <laughs> you'd, her heart. You'd, fig you'd figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Give up cheese? I don't think I could Yeah, I don't think I could either. No. It's my wife. I'll cook something. She's like, God, that was really good. You put butter in that, didn't you? And I'm like, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's no meat in it, so I have to put my butter. Yeah, like, you, I need, I need that. Ready. I need that, like, you know, you know that <laughs> unctuousness. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I love butter. I mean, I love bread, like, Butter as an ingredient. I mean, you own a French restaurant. Yeah. Like, I will to. drink the clarified <laughs> butter. I'll do shots of it. Uh, but lately at home, I've been cooking um, almost with no butter. I was I was in there looking, and I, I bought a pound of butter. We were, did a big grocery store run, like, probably two months ago. And I have the same pound of butter. I haven't opened it. And I was like, this is cr Like, what is going on with me? Like, am I, am I okay? Yeah. Like, usually I would go through a couple pounds over the course, like, uh, through a month. And now I haven't even touched it. I've been using different oils and stuff, which has been kind of fun. Yeah, I've definitely kind of gone down the rabbit hole, like the different EVOs and the avocado oils and, and all those things, too. What's your favorite uh, olive oil? Oh, man. Re region. You can give me a region. Well, you know, you the, the, the best one I've ever had, there's um, how much wine you like to drink, but I love Valpolicella wine. Okay, yeah. And there's uh, one of the best is Giuseppe Quintarelli. Okay. Uh, his Valpolicellas are like, and Amarones and stuff are amazing. Yeah. Um, but he's lined his entire vineyard in olive trees. Cool. And he does a single press of olive oil that's like. I need to try that. What's yeah. it called? Uh, Giuseppe Quintarelli. Quintarelli. Yeah. You got to hold your hand like this. Quintarelli. Quintarelli. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. I'm going to hey. write that down. <laughs> you lived in New York for a while, right? I did. Yeah. yeah for uh, like seven years. I mean, I worked for Andrew Carmelini. Yeah. Hey, who, this fucking he, guy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although he would. So, Yeah. That was awesome. Anyways, this is about you. I'm not going to talk about my, 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 my story is well documented. I'm not talking about that. Um, cool. All right. So, so growing up in uh, rural West Virginia, spent some time in Pittsburgh. That's cool. Yep. I mean, Pittsburgh, I mean, it's still pretty, pretty working class, like, you know, but, but back then I think it was like, yeah, I mean, hardcore my, steel, like my grandfather worked for us steel, mm -hmm. you know, before that, my great grandfather was, uh, was an immigrant from Germany. 
um, grandmother, her family immigrant from Ireland, you know, very Appalachia, right? Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know, the something I found during COVID is that, you know, we very standard, like Irish, German, Pittsburgh families, like mm-hmm. something happened to somebody at some point, And I have a whole side of family in Pittsburgh that I don't know because somebody did something to someone. They're like, you're dead to us. Yeah. Some you feud know. happened. <clears throat> very, very standard, like, you know, ethnic family in, in the Berg. Yeah. And, um, I have a, a I guess, a, I guess you call it a great, a great aunt or great cousin, um, that I met a few years back and lives here in North Carolina and her husband died recently and she was kind of downsizing her home and right after Christmas in was in 2020 I this box showed up on my front door it was like the 26th of December I'm like oh we already got the Christmas presents for the kids and everything yeah. set like, what, is, what this? is this opened it and there's this um big German you know handmade beer stein and a note from my great cousin or aunt or whatever you call it and it's like hey this was your grandfather's or your great grandfather excuse me and she's like you know this long note like he was a chef at the Monongahalia House Hotel in downtown Pittsburgh which was one of America's great hotels they hosted Abraham Lincoln and all these wow and I'm like like call my dad I'm like WTF yeah is this is this real what's going on why have I never heard about this and went down this crazy rabbit hole and called my great cousin was like I, I need to know all of this and she's like you know your German side of, of your dad's family is from the Osnabrück area of Germany and they were in the hospitality industry there for centuries oh wow and I'm like, so it's in oh. your blood huh? I'm like <laughs> it, it, but you know I'm in my 40s now yeah and I had no never, idea never heard about this and it was like mind blown yeah that's interesting you know so it was like you know it was one of those moments where I was like okay I'm doing I'm doing the work I should be doing. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. What a, what an awesome validation <laughs> that you kind of went down the right path. Right? Well, even cooler, uh, about two months ago, um, my first cousin, she, I guess was going through some stuff downsizing, uh, from her mother who'd passed away. And there was stuff from my great grandfather they had, and she had this silver, um, spoon from the Monongahalia house hotel that was his personal tasting spoon. No that way. He in his pocket with That's him cool. And sent it to me, and I was like, okay, this is pretty rad. Yeah. So, what did you do with that stuff? <clears throat> Where? You know, I mean, it's. Uh, somewhere. It's, do you have I, it like boxed like, up somewhere? Or yeah. Like? You know, the spoon, I think at some point I'm going to have like mounted and yeah. framed and, you know. Yeah. Have it be like some sort of. Yeah. It keeps cool. it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Half of me is like, oh, I should carry it with me. But I'm yeah. Like, yeah. I'll lose it. Yeah. <laughs> I would lose that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool, man. Awesome. So it's pretty interesting. And then, you know, so then like on my mom's side, you know, they're a farming family. Yep. Right. And my grandmother was, you know, amazing country cook. I just remember how like delicious her food always tasted, which is funny because on my dad's side, like, I guess my great grandfather was, you know, amazing chef, but like, I haven't met very many other people in the family that cook well. My grandmother, bless her heart, was, you know, burnt everything. Yes. Yeah. Um, but on my mom's side, the food was always great. Country cooking, biscuits, gravy, you know, pickled, canned everything, slow cooked beans. What know. was their, so their, their approach, I mean, obviously they, they grew a lot of food, right? right? And it was mostly vegetable gardens, like things like that. Did, yeah, they, did they do meat at all? Um, they, do like they, they would raise and, chickens and yeah. things. Um, they hunted a lot. You know, I have some very, uh, vivid memories. My uncle's, um, going out on Thanksgiving to kill a buck. And then you know, having me taking pictures with the old school Polaroid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, where they're skinning it, you know, six year old little Billy is like, oh my god. So did you Bambi. did you guys do venison for 
for Thanksgiving and stuff? Or did yeah, you? so we they cooked that up also. Um, cool. You know, my grandfather was old. He was a coal miner, had black lung, very West Virginia story. Yeah. Um, you know, got his uh, his pension and was retired and lived on the farm too. And you know, he'd take me out and we'd go, you know, hiking through the woods and he'd pick mushrooms and ramps and pull ginseng. And I'm, I thought as a kid, I'm like, well, this guy's crazy. Yeah. What's like, up with this old? Like, this crazy you're, old. You're guy. eating that. The, out of the woods yeah. like that's a, that's a stick that, that was underground it's scary <laughs> yeah right? fast forward right i'm yeah. like a foraging free yeah now you're like looking for all that stuff like driving down you're like hey you see that over there <laughs> on the side of the road you know and i it's you know you know those childhood experiences right the environmental experience really i think implants on you right it imprints I'm, I'm i'm a little jealous <laughs> with your story because i love i love the fact that you know because this has definitely come full circle for you right like i think present day you are kind of like a poster child for sustainable local farm to table type cooking um and so that makes total sense right that that's that's you know my 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 folks couldn't like they didn't cook like you know they were a product of the 50s you know everything came in a box shake and bake like that like that was don't front on some shake and bake man i'm not (laughs) i'm not so 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 my approach now to food and it's funny how like that's kind of how it works right is like your food memories and stuff shape how we approach what we do today. You know, cause I, a lot of my cooking is like retweaking things that are familiar from my, you know, from my youth, like shake and bake. Like how do I do a fried well, you're te- chicken? You're that, telling your story, right? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, but, um, but it also, you know, because of that experience for me, that, that caused a lot of curiosity as to like, okay, well, you know, I ended up, doing the farm thing because I wanted to, I didn't have that experience. You know, I met all these amazing farmers and was like, holy shit, like this food is better. Right. When I first started tasting really (coughs) local stuff from the area where I was cooking it, you know, like fresh out of the ground, it really changed my, my approach to food. Right. Like coming from New York, it was always about how do we do the coolest, like, you know, the upscale restaurants, like who, who, how do you outdo all the other chefs, be more creative, come up with cooler techniques, you know, cooler dishes and all that, which is all great. But when I started to meet the, um, farmers down here and just the, the product was so much better than what we were using and you didn't have to do as much to it to extract the flavor or to highlight the flavor and stuff. I would say, I think for me, that was the, exactly to that point is that, you know, I think in our era, we all went through that modernist approach to cooking. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many fucking gels and foams and you know, <laughs> powders and, and meat, meat glue. I've, yeah. you know, I've glued, you know, different t- species of fish together. Like, yeah. Gross. Right? Yeah. yeah. It you looks know. cool. I, mm. I, I, we had a tasting menu when I opened the marketplace. And I remember I had this trio of rabbit on the menu. And I was Frenching out racks of rabbit. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. I mean, hours doing that. It's know? great for a photo. It was beautiful. You know, I look at it and be but, like, oh my God, yeah. my work here is done. Yeah. Right. I've got five orders to sell tonight, guys. <laughs> you know, it took me six hours. I've got five orders. Right. You know, but I think as, as I started to learn about where food comes from and have that kind of aha moment with the connectivity back to my upbringing, my grandparents, I had this connection where I was, remember being in culinary school at CIA in New York. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try the French accent, but this French <laughs> chef there was like, you know, if you want to be the best chef, you have to use the best ingredients. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think he was for him, it was you know foie gras and caviar and truffles and you know wild mushrooms and things like that, right? Yep. I had this aha moment and was like, 
reminiscing back to my, my grandmother's farm and just thinking how delicious the food was. And I was like, why? Right. And I think as chefs, that's something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, great chefs. That's something that we focus on a lot. It's like we question everything. I was that annoying kid. Why, why, why? Mm-hmm. Right. But it's because I wanted to learn. And I think I'm constantly on that, you know, on the move to learn more. But with this, this moment, this connection, it was like, why, why does the food taste better? And how can I make it taste better? And for me, it was like, I want it as fresh as possible. Yeah. <clears throat> I remember in, in culinary school, I took a wine class and they started talking about uh, bricks level mm-hmm. in grapes, right? So yep. as a vintner, they take their, what's the thing called? A, a mass spectrometer, yeah. right? right? And they take the grape as it's approaching its ripeness and they test it for the sugar content. And when the sugar content's right, they say, okay, guys, time to harvest, mm-hmm. right? But because, you know, the higher the sugar content and the riper the grape, the better wine you're going to make, right? It's going to have better yep. flavor, ferment to better alcohol, et cetera, yep. et cetera. But there's a bricks level in all fruits and vegetables, right? And yeah. So, you know, I think a good example I use all the time, cliche as hell, but it's a tomato, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's um, end of July right now. You know, would you rather eat a tomato in January or one at the end of the July? I don't eat <clears throat> raw tomatoes unless it's the summertime. Right. Corey can attest to that. I will not, I will not eat a tomato <laughs> until it's summertime. But right, you know, so we were talking yeah. about being down uh, John's Island in Charleston. Yep. Uh, you probably, you probably eaten a John's Island tomato in the middle of summer. Yep. Holy shit. Yeah. Right. Like it's like eating a South Carolina peach. You it, know, yeah. It's, it's ripe. You bite into it and you got to like have a, a napkin exactly. to wipe your chin. Yeah. There's no mealy texture. <laughs> there's no, wa- it's, there's no wateriness. It's very like sweet, full. I mean, you get the acidity. They're, they're really good. Yeah. You know, it's like Excellent. like when something's ripe, you know, it's bright in color. Mm-hmm. It's heavy for its size because it's full of natural sugars, right? Yep. Juicy. Um, you know, it's the flesh is firm, right? When did you start becoming aware of that stuff? Like, when did you start thinking about that <clears throat> consciously in your cooking? Like saying, hey, okay. Like exploring, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't cook with tomatoes in, in, the, in the winter. They don't belong there to me. That started for me after I moved to Charlotte and I started and I met Sammy. Like that's kind of where I was like, wait a minute, why would I put tomatoes in a tomato sauce in the middle of winter unless we've canned them, right? right? Like I'm not going to take these tomatoes from the grocery store and try to make a sauce with that. It's not going to work. It's not going to be good. Exactly. I can add more wine. I can add sugar. I can like, I can manipulate this to get something close to what I want. It's not the same though. But that's different. And I think your cooking speaks to that. You know, you're really trying to highlight the ingredients that you're cooking with. And those ingredients are Appalachian. Appalachian? Appalachian. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Um, I, I will get it. By, I will get it by the end of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's part of my life's work. So. Yeah, yeah. And I want to talk about that because you you have become that kind of like you know the spokesperson for that um, in North Carolina at least. Sure. Um, I know Sean Sean Brock does a lot of um, promotion of that and kind of really helped bring it to the forefront. You know, a few years ago. But you're definitely carrying the torch right now for sure. Sure. But yeah, you know, but back to the the food thing and the the flavor. You know, I feel like as chefs, we're flavor chasers, mm-hmm. right? We want to find the best ingredients to make the most delicious food. Cause at the end of the day that, you know, how do we keep, you know, our food on our own tables at home mm-hmm. is we have to make delicious food consistently for our guests. And when we can do that and do it at a high level, people go, damn, this is good. I'm going to come back again. I'm going to tell all my friends, mm-hmm. but you know, for, I'd say back to those food memories of like, when did it 
like when did it click and that light bulb go off? Certainly different memories throughout my life, but I was uh, doing an internship in California and I was at this really bougie place called the San Ysidro Ranch. It's in up in the hills in Montecito, you know, had to sign non-disclosure agreements because of the fancy LA celebrities that came there. Mm-hmm. But it had an organic garden and orchard on the premise. And I remember just, you know, the seafood coming in right off the coast and the fresh produce and the fresh citrus and things we used. One day, I remember going to the walk-in cooler looking for time to um, you know, use for this brassage I was making, right? And I was like, Chef, where's the time? And he said, Chef, there's a back door. There's some uh, garden scissors. There's a basket. Go get it yourself. Yeah. And I was kind of like, fuck you. Right? <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. But then I walked out the door, cut my own time. Yeah. Went and put it into the brassage I was making, and I was like, saw the laurel tree with the bay, you know, the, yeah, bay leaves over here. You're like, oh, wait a minute, right? You know, <laughs> and it's like that moment for me was like, you know, the synapses started firing, and I was like, oh, okay, the, like, this is good. Mm-hmm. And then you know, back to the culinary school moment with this French culinary instructor, right? Like, the best ingredients make the best chef. And so I think for me, as my culinary journey started moving forward, it was like. I started working different places and we certainly had the big box truck folks roll up and, you know, cut the bag open. You put enough salt and pepper and acid and butter into it. I can make it taste good. Yep. But when you have that moment of fresh from the garden, it's like that, that's the, that's the chef I want to be. That's the integrity I want to have uh, and the flavor I want to put into my food where things are so fresh, you have this flavor explosion, right? Yeah. And it's like, I don't need to manipulate it much. Right. Right. I, I don't need the pomp and circumstance on the plate. Just let me let me try to manipulate this enough, season it gently, put it on the plate, and you eat it, and you go, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like, one it changed of, my life. One, one of my favorite things to do these days cause, um, <clears throat> is, yeah, I do a lot of training with my cooks and stuff, and... I was an entremetier for most of my time in New York. And so that's veg cooking. Right. And so I'm like super, I'm all about vegetables, all about cooking them properly. And so, and, and it's funny how most cooks, most line cooks can't cook a vegetable. Like if they, if you get a good line cook, they know how to blanch properly. Right. Right. You're like, Oh, good for you. <laughs> like, wow. Good for you. But they don't know how to like, you know, glaze a vegetable. They don't know how to manipulate vegetables to really um, accentuate the the raw product and that's something i really enjoy doing because when you see them get a bite of a carrot that isn't blanched right but but you've captured all the essence of a carrot and when they bite it and you can just see it in their eyes right they're like whoa like that moment that's what i like right because then now you've got a connection they're like oh shit i i just realized now that i've been i haven't been doing it right right that's so much on our opening menu uh, here in Charlotte at Haymaker, my favorite dish that I've ever done at Haymaker was this was a carrot side dish. Yeah, we took baby carrots from a boy and girl farm, juiced them, cooked them sous vide in carrot juice. Uh, we took carrot juice and made carrot vinegar, mm-hmm. and then all the minute put the baby the sous vide baby carrots into the hearth, charm off, carrot juice, carrot vinegar, butter, and glazed them yep. carrot on carrot on carrot. Yeah. And we took the carrot tops and we made powder out of it. Uh, we made like a bene seed, sumac, uh, zatar, and a little bit of like preserved lemon yogurt. Yeah. Super. Sounds awesome. Simple dish in terms yeah. of plating, right? But right. Like, 
you know, I had people. But what you just described to to our listeners, they're like, wait a minute, that's not simple. Yeah, but powder? What? Oh, how did we get to that? But you know, people would eat it and say, "Chef, I hate carrots." Right. And that was like the best carrot dish I've had in my whole life. Yep. And to me, it was like, okay, winning. Yeah. But then you know, then as the you know, it's like the rabbit trio was talking about before, right? It's also Mm -hmm. one of those dishes like, is this necessary? Right. Am I taking you know, an $8 side dish that is taking half the day to cook. Yep. Right. I don't know. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Right. Right. It depends on what you're trying. Like, what are you trying to achieve? What is, we, we always refer to it as our cooking voice, right? It's like, so what, what are you trying, what, what story are you trying to tell with this dish? And is, and is your approach going to tell that story? You know, if it's the story of the carrot, well then, yeah. Right. If, if the dish is all about a carrot, then maybe you do have to do that. Maybe you don't like may, may, maybe all you got to do is glaze that carrot perfectly with a with a high quality butter and for, you're and you're good for sure. And but, we certainly do that, too. But I think yeah. that's the fun thing about being a chef. Right. right? That's Some, the creative part. Is you sometimes you need to dive down that rabbit hole mm-hmm. so you can pull it back a little bit. Sure. You know, you, you know it's like um, let's say if you want to be an expert at something, you have to do something 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. You know, I, I don't know if we want to go down the go down that road into like, you know, line cooking and where people are, but yeah, that's something I tried to coach my team on. I said, look, like I get it, you're out of culinary school, you you know, you apprenticed at whatever place, that's great, but you've only been cooking for like a couple of years, right? You know, how many times have you done something? We that I'm struggling with that in my world right now because everybody like, the whole <clears throat> social media world has created this culture of like wanting things immediately i'm an impatient person yeah like same. i that's why i don't do pastry like you know what i mean <laughs> right because i need i need like results you know i need to be in it and and have things happen and but you know i mean i didn't get my first chef gig until i was in like my late 20s maybe almost 30 you know and that was that was in a supporting role as a chef where we've got you know there's people today they're like yeah, you get out of school and they're 22 and they want to be you know, a CDC or whatever. I'm like, you don't know anything. Like you've learned a bunch of stuff at school, but that doesn't give you any sort of expertise or experience to, to lead a team, you know, leadership. Chefing is leadership. It's not about how good the dish is you put on the plate at all. And that's, that's my approach. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, I would say cooking is probably the easy part, Mm -hmm. right? It's the fun part. It's the fun part, (laughs) you know, but the, the leadership, the finance, uh, the marketing, the, all those things, like that's that's the tough part. That's what being a chef is for sure. I mean, like being able to put those things together well, I think, is what being a chef is. Well, and that was part of my journey too, right? Is that I, you know, had worked at some great places, been all around the country, educating myself, and you know, ended up leaving Culinary Institute of America. You know, got brainwashed there, like mm-hmm. ACF stuff, right? Yeah. You, your next step is go to the Greenbrier. Right. You know, I went there to work under CMC Peter Timmons and do their apprentice program. And it was wonderful, but it was like, that's something when I talk to young cooks coming out of school, they're like, what should I do? Should I go work for Chef Jamie, right, and check out all his, his amazing cuisine? Um, or should I go, you know, into a bigger institutional place? For me, the Greenbrier it was crazy. It was like boot camp. Yeah. But the one thing that I really got from it is it got my reps up real fast. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in my restaurant, you know, if you're lucky, you'll cook a few hundred steaks in a week. Right. Right. You know, at the Greenbrier, you may cook 500 steaks in a day. Right. You know? Yep. So like you, 
it should have got off the pot. Yeah. You know, and you have somebody in your face saying, let's go, chef, let's go. Yeah. And that was certainly a different era. But I left there and I was like proficient in vegetable cookery yeah. and meat cookery and temperatures and seafood because not necessarily because I was great at it, just because I had done it 10,000 times. So many times, the repetition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my chef, I remember, I still idolize this chef, this uh, Michel Laborne. He was a master chef of France, was our culinary director for um, New England Culinary Institute is where I went. And um, he he was, you know, he wasn't in, he, he did do some classes, like he taught some classes in, um, he was probably in his maybe late 50s, I think, when I was in school. And, you know, he would go around and talk to everybody, thick accent. He was a very personable guy, like definitely a character, right? Like this guy was a total character. And, but he knew everyone. I mean, he knew Danielle. He knew Paul Bocuse. He knew, like, he knew, he was a master chef of France. He knew everybody. And he, he um, it was time to do, we had to do two internships for school. And, and I, I couldn't figure out where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. I, I didn't know. I was, this was, I was just like so like amped up about food and so green, you know, that, uh, and he saw that in my classes. Like I was the guy that was like running around in class. Like we had a seven to one student ratio. So it was like, it was like real time in yeah. the kitchen. You're not like in a, you know, in a um, lecture hall theorizing. You're like in the kitchen doing stuff. And so he, he noticed that in me early on. I was like, okay, I'm going to, this one's going to be a project for me, basically. And so he he placed me at Aqua in San Francisco with Michael Mina. Well, wow. he was like, "All right, cool." Michael Mina, American chef. He was at that point. He was, you know, he was building his reputation as the chef at Aqua. Four stars. That place got rocked. I mean, we were doing 450, 500 covers a night. I went at, at a very high level. At a very high level, and I went in there and got my ass kicked, like just. It turned inside out, put back together, and when I came out of there, I was like, I was a machine, you know. And that, that was the Greenbrier for me. I mean, yeah. I have a moment, very vivid moment there. I was on the Entremet station for the day. They kind of rotate you through in the apprentice program, you know. And I tell people about this, and they don't believe me, but the line for the main dining room kitchen mm -hmm. is over thirty yards long. Yeah. Wow. And back when I worked there, um, room and board were part of the, the daily the daily rate. Mm -hmm. And they used to have this analog scoreboard across from the line and they had a um like a call booth uh you know it's like almost like a like for like the old school taxi companies yeah yeah like the, the glassed in call booth and yeah. the servers would run up and say you know here's my order for table two uh-huh right and then each station on the line was a different dish on the menu mm -hmm. i remember being on the beef tornado dish one night and it went from zero to 330 seconds <laughs> you're like oh shit <laughs> and then servers <laughs> servers are running servers are running by giving uh verbal temps yeah six mid rare two mid well five well yeah. you know and, and you're like, like head spinning you're just yeah. like whoa yeah but they you know and that was you know one example but another thing on entremet station one day we had these, they did these gold dinners there where, you know, gold plates, silverware, it was right. very fancy. Yep. And, you know, those, remember the old school Thumbelina carrots? Oh, yeah. Right. I love those things, love man. Them. So I, I had my them. cooks hate them. They hate them. They're yeah. like, try to peel them. They're like, how do I peel this carrot? It's round. Right. <laughs> and so I, I had to peel like four bushels of them. Yeah. And I'd gone through and I was finishing them up. And uh, the chef de partie came by for Entremet and he was like, chef, uh, you forgot to peel the stem. Get back at it. Yeah. I spent all day peeling these fucking carrots. Yep. 
literally got them, got a tournay knife and had to go through like hands cramping. Yep. They were orange for like a week. Right. But yeah. You yeah. know what? I can fucking peel a thumb yeah. and a carrot better than anybody now. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I joke about this all the time. Like, um, so when I was on Top Chef on both seasons that I was on, the mise en place re- relay was part of one of the challenges that I was in. And that was like when I saw that challenge, the first time I, I did it, I didn't know what it was. But when they explained it, I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, this is my shit. Yeah. Like, you're talking prep. That's my jam. Right. You want me to tornate artichokes? Sure. Fuck yeah, dude. I'm all over it. Everybody else, all the other chefs are like, ah, tornate artichoke, right? Like, I thought those you're came like, in a can. Yeah, I was like, boom, I banged them out in like no time. I was like, oh shit. You yeah, know? man. Um, yeah, so, and I love, I love all that, like, you know, those skills, right? Like those knife skills. But, How much of that do you guys use these days in your in your kitchens in your creek do you guys tournay do you do you do any of that stuff occasionally yeah right you know and usually if, if it's i come in the kitchen and mess everybody up for the day and i'm like oh we're gonna run this special with you know tornade sunchokes and whatever and they're like are you serious yeah and i'm yeah. like yeah, let's go you gotta learn it sometime <laughs> yeah no but i mean i would say you know knife cuts are important yeah but as i mentioned earlier you know i've kind of gotten away from you know trios of rabbit right mm-hmm. and more into like rustic refined like let's just let's spend time and make a beautiful sauce mm-hmm. right and properly cook our vegetables use a cartouche right mm-hmm. to, to when we're making things like collard greens right um so they cook properly mm-hmm. um and let's make sure we season our food and then we extrapolate and go what does it need right like we're not just cogs in the wheel we're not just you know right line cook monkeys right we're like we're we are professional chefs and smart human beings mm-hmm. and that's the kind of culture that i really try to cultivate in our kitchens is like to me i can write a menu and it's a good menu right but when i collaborate with my team and we talk about it and we taste it and we give each other feedback it goes from a good menu to a great menu yeah and to me that's that's also the really important part of a professional kitchen because at the end of the day you know, we're sitting here in a room, you and I have somewhat similar backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. And, but we're also from different places. You know, there are probably things that we think they're mutually think are, are delicious. Other things we're probably like, that's trash. <laughs> and that's also cooking, right? Like we're cooking for a community of people that come from everywhere, diverse background. They don't have the same backgrounds as you or I. Right. So we have to make sure that we can create food that touches all parts of the tongue that that is stimulating to them and they eat it and go, it's delicious. And it's, you know, if you're from, you know, Spokane, Washington, or you're from New York city, or you're from Charleston, West Virginia, all those people go, man, that's delicious. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's, that's the dream. That's that's the the goal. That's the dream. Right. (laughs) How, how, how efficient are you feel at, um, that uh, you're achieving that? How do you feel about your performance? You know, I'd say, uh, if you had to look back at, at like what you got going on right now. So you've got, You've got three three restaurants, uh, three restaurants, a few more on the way. Okay. Yep. So, how do you feel like you're faring in your your goal to to bang people in the mouth with flavor? I think we're doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're doing pretty well. Good. You know, um, marketplace. I'm almost 14 years in now. Haymaker, yeah. Billy D's Fried Chicken. About five years in. So let, let's talk about some of that. <clears throat> let's talk about. We talked a little bit about kind of like coming up and and learning those skills and how that kind of shaped what you're doing now. Talk about that transition like when you when you bought marketplace like what was what was the goal there what was your mission at that point 
how was that experience? I mean, shit, I think back to when I opened five church and it just gives me like anxiety big time. Like I knew, right. and, and I realized now too, like I look back and that the humbleness of like being like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Like I, I look at what I'm doing now and I still don't think I know what I'm doing. Like I have a lot more experience, but I still, I'm like, I don't know. You know, like, well, like I mentioned, I, I went back, I, I got burnt out cooking in Charleston and I was mm-hmm. killing myself. One of the restaurants I worked at before I, I moved to Asheville you know, I was commuting 40 minutes each way. And there were nights where I was getting out of the kitchen, you know, finishing cleaning the floors at 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I had to be back at 8. Yeah. And I'm like, a uh, 40-minute drive each way. I'm just going to go sleep in the booth and, you know, take a line cook shower, right? You know. And it just was burnout. And so I went to grad school and I thought, you know, man, I'm going to – I'm just going to go get this corporate job. And, you know, 9 to 5, Volvo, white picket fence, 2.5 kids, and fade to black. And – you know, here I am now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I think I was doing these things and I got to a point where I was like, you know, I think we all have to go on a vision quest at mm-hmm. some point. I don't want to get on a tangent too far from the storytelling, but uh, I'm a short white dude. I love basketball <laughs> and I sucked at it when I was younger. <laughs> and it was my goal was like, I want to be able to dunk a basketball. I want to be able to you know, make the starting starting five on my high school team. And I had a guy one day at basketball camp. He said, uh, he said, you know, you have to go on a vision quest. He said, your jumper sucks. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm like, no it just shit, is no what shit. it is. No shit. Yeah. And he's like, look, you know, your mechanics are off. Let me help you with your mechanics. But he said, beyond that, you have to be able to envision the ball going through the hoop. And he said, I'm not talking about thinking, oh, I'm going to shoot the basketball. He said, I'm talking about like you're envisioning keeping your elbow in, right? You're snap your wrist. You're watching the ball spin in the air. You watch it go through the rim and swish through the net. When you can do that, you're creating a mechanism in your brain that allows you to perform that way, mm-hmm. right? Can you perform that way every time? He said, "Yeah, if you're, you know, if you're on your shit, yeah, right. If you're Kobe or <laughs> right, but but in you know, and, and what does it take to get there? It takes right. a shitload of practice, mm-hmm. like I said, back to the ten thousand times, right? Yep, and a lot of hard work to get there. It doesn't just come for free. At least right. didn't for me, right? Um, but the same thing, like with my career, was like I got to a point where I was just really clouded and like, what am I doing with my life? And I think that happens to a lot of cooks. Yeah, right. You're you're sweating to the oldies every day, and it's like, it's like Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, what can I do to get out of this hole? And for me, it was like, you know what? I, I need to do this for myself. And I went down the path of figuring out, okay, how do I write a business plan? Right? Mm-hmm. How do I get funding together? How do I? deal with real estate development, all things I had no clue about. And it was literally learning under fire. Yeah. Uh, but I knew I'd come to a point in my vision quest that I needed to do that for myself. Yeah. Did, did this start to happen in, in Charleston before you relocated or did this happen? Were you like, I'm getting out of Charleston cause I'm burnt. I need to like separate from this, you know, groundhog day. And then you started to say, okay, it started to, clarify what your direction had to be i need to learn this i have to you know get familiar with this you know well i'd, I'd gone to university of south carolina uh have a master's in international hospitality and tourism management mm-hmm. kind of like mba for hospitality yep and again that was where i was like i'm gonna go work for some food company and clock in clock out <laughs> right you know yeah i'll, I'll get, get a gold watch and fade the black yeah yeah right? get, get, get my paycheck right yeah man. <laughs> um you know i just and as i started going down that path i was like that is not me, right? Like, yeah. you know, I, I did you start down that path? I and, did. And you said, Hey, whoa, yeah. pump the brakes. Yeah, man. This is not going to 
get me where I need to be. That was exactly what happened. Okay. And I said, look, like I need to do it for myself. Yeah. So I saved some money up, um, you know, borrowed money from family, got loans, did all that and was like, all right, son, roll the dice. Here we go. How was your family feeling about <laughs> uh, contributing to a restaurant venture? Knowing it, you know, th- th- first of all, did they know that restaurants typically fail? My family, they probably still think I'm crazy as shit. But yeah. like when I went to culinary school, they were like, what are you doing? Yeah, why? Yeah, I have an undergrad degree in English and French. Okay. The French kind of got me more into the food scene. Yeah. Um, but then I applied to culinary school and they were like, what? <laughs> like, son, you need to go to law school. Like, yeah. Go get the job, get the gold watch and retire. Yeah. And I did. And they were like, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Um, and it was right. Like when I went to culinary school was not food network and all that had not blown up yet. Right. You know, uh, Anthony Bourdain had just put his book out. Right. Yep. Family was reading it. They're like, Oh my God, is it drugs and sex? And <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, you know, it was interesting. It was an interesting path with the family, but I think, you know, fast forward now they're like, you know, things are going much better. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think they're definitely proud of the journey. Yeah. But, you know, I think the thing I've tried to talk to them about is life doesn't have to be a calculated path. Mm-hmm. We all have different pathways. We all get to that crossroads. We get to the point of like, what? I know I'm supposed to take this left turn, but I want to go right instead. Mm-hmm. And it might be a bumpy road, right? Yeah. But if I'm a hard worker and I'm focused and I have this vision, like, you know, things are achievable. Yeah. Right. Um, but you have to be dedicated to that doesn't just come for free. Right. hundred percent. When you decided to, to, to do it for yourself, right. Say, I got to have my own place. Um, it's the only way I'm not going to be happy doing like going down this road. What at that point, like when you, so when you kind of settled on how did you settle on marketplace first off? And then like, what was your kind of, what was your vision for what you were going to do with that? Like, what was that going to achieve for you? Marketplace. Sure. So, you know, so I was looking at different demographics around the country. I'd lived in Santa Barbara. I lived in New York. I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, and some other places. And I was like, I want to live somewhere where I love the outdoors. I like free fun. I like to go out and play and exercise and, mm-hmm. you know, swim in the ocean, jump off a waterfall in the mountains, go fishing, all these things, right? So I was like, I need to live somewhere where I can play also. And I was looked at Santa Barbara where I lived before, and I was like, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> Charleston had also started to pop off at the time. And I was like, yeah, that's, I, you know, I don't have that money either. Yeah. I honestly, I came, uh, the Lake Eden arts festival in Asheville. I went up with some friends from Charleston and we went and saw Michael Franti play an acoustic set. Cool. You know, maybe it was the wine or something in the air. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, Asheville's the shit. <laughs> it's probably something in the air. <laughs> yeah, maybe something there. I don't know. <laughs> Good vibes only. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I, uh, I remember we'd stopped to get some beer at a local grocery store. And right as I walked in, there was the, the stand of, you know, printed, you know, printed magazines that said local food guide. I was like, that's pretty rad. And I opened it up and flipping through and it's the Appalachian sustainable agriculture project. It was this amazing organization um, that creates a local food movement, right? Getting local food institutions, schools, restaurants, etc. They have this food guide that lists all the farmers lists what's in season you know, everyone's name, resources, et cetera. And I'm like, this is, this is amazing. Like this is doing all the hard work for me. Like I don't have right. to go out and, and network and find it. I and found it all right here. Yeah. And like, you know, 
then went and saw Michael Franti play, and I was like, bro, this is it. Yeah, I found my <laughs> calling, bro. <laughs> and so I got with the realtor, and we started looking at places. And fortuitously, the marketplace had come on the market. Uh, at the time, it was 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, okay, this is meant to be. Yeah. So went down that path. It's funny, at the time, though, I met, I met a girl who's now my wife mm-hmm. and was literally just about to buy the marketplace and she had been living here in Charlotte, ironically, as a consultant and quit her job and was like, I'm going to move to Hanoi, Vietnam uh, to go work in climate change science uh, for the Clinton Foundation. And so I would like put the deal on hold for a little bit and went and spent some time in Southeast Asia. Oh, cool. Which was amazing. That's maybe a story for another podcast. Yeah, yeah. We might have to follow up. I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear about that. It was pretty epic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I came back from there. Place was still in the market. Uh, how, how long were you there? How long did you head oh, over there for? A couple months. Okay. Yeah. You, you guys weren't married at this point, were you? No, no. Okay, just, you were just you were just infatuated. I was point. chasing the girl. Yeah, you were like, I'll go where you go. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the story the story yeah. is my charm and charisma was so much she couldn't <laughs> control herself. Right. Yeah, she said I wouldn't leave her alone, you know. <laughs> we meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, okay, got it. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so came back and, you know, Pursued the deal, got the money in place, and went through the grind and bought the marketplace uh, September 1st, 2009, right in the middle of the recession. Yeah, that's a great time to be oh, <laughs> getting started. Yeah. And but, so, but, I mean, you probably got a pretty decent deal on the, the space because I, of that. I got a good deal on yeah. it. And, and, frankly, the chef and owner, a uh, guy named Mark Rosenstein, who founded the marketplace, you know, he was in his 60s, and he was like, I'm out. Yeah, I, I hope that some young, you know, as they say where I'm from, some young whippersnapper comes yeah. along years yeah. from now and says, William, I want to buy your restaurant. And yeah. Like, yeah. So where do I sign? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please, <laughs> please do. And please take the headaches with you. <laughs> right. But so, uh, so yeah, bought it September 1 of 09 and came in and it was, you know, white tablecloth, fine dining, chamber music, holier than thou mentality, right? Tasting yep. menus, all okay. that. Still very hyper sustainable farm to table. Uh, but it was like, it was a turn on for me because that was my up and coming was in that old school, like five star fine dining, white right. tablecloth. But then the recession just blasted us. Um, you know, that winter it snowed every weekend. You know, I'd watch, we'd have a hundred covers on and I watch, you know, the yeah. sn- as the snow accumulated, up, yeah. reservations <sighs> dropped off, you know, and it'd yeah. be like, we'd be dead during the week. And then, you know, it was like, all right, we're going to do a few hundred covers in the weekend. We're going to pay the bills. Right. You know, the budget works out. Then we'd have to close Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Because so too much snow. Nobody's too much coming snow. Out. Nobody's coming out. Yeah, like, we just, like, yeah. I'm so fucked. Are we going to make the month? Like, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I tell stories to my, to my guys now. It's like third days it was me and a dishwasher. They're yeah. like, oh, come on, chef. And I'm like. No, for real. No, it was me and a dishwasher. <laughs> yeah. Like, I refused to go bankrupt. Yeah. You know, I had days like, you know, I went to, I couldn't make payroll couple mm-hmm. times i went to the bank cried my eyes out right and by the grace of god they gave me a, you know, a temporary loan they're like don't fuck this up yeah right this is on you yeah we're and, gonna come take your stuff if you <laughs> right and it was like i gotta figure it out you mm-hmm. know we're all talking about pivoting yeah. during covid right but like let me talk to you about pivoting so let me ask you that that's a good point did you are some of those I mean, we, okay, so we're on, we're, you know, hopefully on the other side of this, you know, pandemic thing. I mean, I think it's going to, I think the hangover from it's going to last a while, Same. right? But, but I think the worst of it is over, I hope. And do you feel that 
those early days struggling at marketplace trying to figure out how not to go bankrupt set you up or gave you some skills to be able to navigate this shit show that we just kind of it did man it it, it helped me you know like i said i was doing fucking rabbit trios right tasting yeah. menus and <laughs> look at me right yeah yeah you know, i'm so I, fancy yeah look at my phone <laughs> yeah right fuck phones <laughs> uh, anyway that's another story too but uh but so yeah so i was doing that and it was like this is not working you know there's two people in the dining room you know like the business model sucks mm-hmm. we have to change and so at the time at marketplace um i cashed in the rest of the chips i had and we renovated and we built we had a dining room in the front we turned it into a large bar and lounge we started doing you know more small plate centric you know live music and we just made the vibe more uh, like casual fine dining mm-hmm. right rustic refined yep and we did it and we changed the menu to be more approachable and it was like it just it clicked yeah and i think for- how long did that take how long that once how long did the the realization that you had to make some changes to like people starting to get it and you feeling like that <laughs> it was you, not overnight yeah no i mean it like, never is no i mean it, you know i bought it in 09 i'd say like 13 2013 okay did did you start planning the shift straight away like after you got in there or was it like did you did you operate the business for a while and say hey i need to like kind of think about what i'm doing about a year and a half into it we're okay. like we have to you know we have to flip the script here like yeah. so we we renovated um and then that's when things started to turn a little bit we started coming out of the recession a little bit you know Asheville started you know winning all these best you know beer city in the country mm-hmm. tourists and journalists slowly started coming big breweries started coming so there was a lot of variables that helped, but I think for me it was also like, you know, I was broke, right? Um, you know, I I work with some PR now, but like I I'd never had a publicist, right? Right? You know, and I I did everything. My wife called me an event whore. Somebody said <laughs> yeah. we have a charity event. I'm, like, like, I'm I'll there. do it. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you know, hey, food and wine festival. Hey, I'm there. Right. Like yep. whatever. I w- I did it all, and I'd say that's that was part of the of the up and coming part, right? Like that's how I got out there and got our brand out. It was like, you know, street hustler. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so fast forward, I mean, you know, to pandemic now, right? It's like, I want to say it was easy, right? It fucking sucked yeah, for all of us. It was not easy for anyone. But I, I want to say I at least was equipped with the tools. Yeah. You had experienced some, <clears throat> some, some harsh realities of the business early on that kind of helped you. Well, that, that recession pivot for me, I think what it taught me was that, you know, I can make some beautiful food. You know, mm-hmm. I can make Michelin-style, high-quality, beautiful, executed food that I'll put a plate in front of you and it'll blow your mind. Mm-hmm. But does that pay the bills, right? Does that help me make payroll to pay my team that helps me to operate this amazing business? No. So, like, we have to give the people what they want. Yep. And I would say that's something that I really try to push now to my cooks is, like, I want your ideas, but let's talk about are people going to love it, mm-hmm. right? Are they going to crave it and come back for it? Yeah. Right. And that's, I said, that's what the food we're trying to make. Great. That brings up an interesting question. And one that I've been thinking about a lot over the years, because like you said, we have similar kind of backgrounds. You know, my background was super high end, fine dining, Michelin stuff. I don't cook that way at all now. Um, I think sometimes I think that way. Like when I'm, when I'm, when I'm fantasizing about dishes or ingredients, like, like in my head, you know, I'm thinking about them in that way. But like when I actually 
technically start to like play with the food, it never, I never go down that road. Do you think that that Michelin star focus, that kind of cooking is slowing down? Do you think it's becoming, I mean, that used to be, I mean, in the early nineties, that was what, I mean, that's what validated a great chef, right? Was it was James Beard, Michelin stars, um, you know, five diamonds, you know, the, all that stuff. What, I guess what I'm trying to find out from you is like, what are your thoughts on that whole system? Do you think that that's still important or do you feel like it's less important and kind of moving away from that kind of thing? Oh man, that's a deep, it is a deep one, deep but it's one I've been, I've been, I want to know honestly, cause I've been thinking about it a lot and I have my own kind of feelings. You know, I have it. a lot of feelings and thoughts on that, <laughs> but I mean, I, I think it's important, Yeah, you know, but I think the system needs reworked mm-hmm. for Michelin and for James Beard. In what way? You know, it's it's been a bunch of good old boy white guys, you know, in their white long white uh, aprons mm-hmm. winning awards, mm-hmm. right? Is their food delicious? Hell yeah, it's, it's amazing. They're mm-hmm. putting amazing technique together and they're doing mind-blowing cuisine, mm-hmm. right? And I, I believe in it. But, and I think that that strive for perfection is important but at what cost, mm-hmm. right? How are we treating our people? What are we doing, you know, what are we doing to ourselves? Mm-hmm. You know, we get into a whole conversation on what sustainability is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, something I learned the hard way too, right? You know, if you wanna promote sustainability, you know, great food and, you know, take care of your staff, but if you're not being sustainable to yourself, you know, are you walking the walk, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in that kind of Michelin, James Beard, circle there's a lot of like just kill yourself Mm -hmm. right to get to the highest level right Right. i certainly think if you want to be the best in any profession you're in it's not a 40-hour work week right right you're putting in the time and the effort you're working over hours after hours all the time on that goal and again back to the you know you got to do something ten thousand times Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen overnight right if you want to be an expert at it Mm -hmm. so i think it takes time and it takes effort Mm -hmm. But at what cost? Mm-hmm. I know earlier on in my career, I killed myself. You know, I didn't celebrate holidays. I mm-hmm. would work. Um, you know, there were things, you know, I'd, you know, family, friends that I just said, I, I can't be there. Weddings, funerals I didn't attend because I was working because mm-hmm. it was the most important thing in my universe. Yep. I would say age helps you <laughs> learn that lesson. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree <clears> with that. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's, that was, I think that's probably one of my big qualms with like the Michelin James Beard stuff is that. You know, at what cost does that come to, so, to not just the chef and the and the executives at the restaurant, but also to the team that's helping you achieve those goals? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, let's see if I'm getting this <clears throat> right. That accolade system is kind of at odds with your feelings about sustainability and kind of like. I, I chased all of it for a long time. Yeah. Right. I told a few people along the way to go fuck themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably not a good thing. Um, You know, I'm a very diplomatic, down-to-earth person, but, you know, I was taught, you know, there's a certain point that if somebody disrespects you enough, throw the gloves off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's what it is sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. But I've, you know, I've kind of been, I've done a lot of the James Beard stuff. I've Mm -hmm. done some of the Michelin stuff, and, like, I think it's amazing. But for me, I was like, you know, do I need to kill myself for that? Right. Do I need to go down that path? Um, you know, I, I started to for a while. Children was probably my 
big catalyst to say, you know what, does it really matter? Right. I need to put money in the bank. I need to take care of my team. And that was probably a pivot for me to like not be in the kitchen 80 hours a week to like, hey, hire a chef cuisine, mm -hmm. hire sous chefs. You can't micromanage. Right. You know, it's a little, little intimate with our family, but I have two children. Both of them have hearing loss. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had been asked to be on TV and chop chef and mm -hmm. chopped and I turned them down because it was like, I need to be here with my family. Mm hmm. And that was, you know, it was a, from somebody that was like micromanager type yeah. A chef earlier on in my career, it was a big, it was a tough pill to swallow. Right. But it was the best thing I ever did. Good it, for you. It, it helped yeah. me slow down and be a little more sustainable to myself. Good. To say, you know what, I don't need to work every Friday night, right? Like I can be home with my wife, with my kids, um, you know, being more of the, of the person I should be. How do you manage that with your teams that are, running your restaurants now so i mean obviously you're still involved you're still there i mean you, yeah. you're in Char we're in charlotte today so haymaker's here right um haymaker opened in 2018 2018 yeah. okay and that and it's it's a similar style food to market it was going to be marketplace charlotte yeah and i said we don't need more we don't, you know, yeah, we don't i don't want to i don't want a chain <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly so we uh so we said oh it'll be easy we'll create a whole new brand yeah <laughs> <laughs> We live and we learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. It's, but so, it's, so it's like it's it's like the same kind of model. Uh, yeah, seasonal, yeah. farm to table. Yeah. You know, casual fine dining. Um, the menu evolves based on what we can get from our farms. Mm -hmm. So, how do you implement that sustainability, that longevity, that kind of you know protect your staff from? Like, I feel I feel an obligation to kind of protect my staff from the mistakes that I made as a young cook. Like that ego driven, like I'll do whatever it takes to be successful. I'll do whatever it takes to get the stars. And so I, I feel like I have to kind of like it's systems for sure. Yeah. You know, that, that's something I had the chef tell me once before he said, you know, you need to work in the business, but there's a certain point you need to work on the business. And how do you get from working in the business to on the business structure and systems? Mm -hmm. Right. He said, you know, mise en place, right? You know, hundred percent. Come in, mise en place your station. You know, my prep list is game tight. I come in, I've got it all timed out. I knock it out. Let's go. Time for service. He said, apply that mentality. You know, to the on the macro level, yep. right? Holistically to your operation. You know, make your employee manuals. Make your your SOPs. Make your uh, you know standardize your recipes. Right? Do all these things, and it's like these are all things. Oh, I can figure that out. But when I finally did it. And then I trained managers. I was like, holy shit, like this works really well. Yeah. You know? Okay. So I'm going to interject real quick. Any of my chefs or staff that are listening right now, I'm not just busting your balls. <laughs> this right. is a thing. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. You know, structure <laughs> is important, right? right? You know, we don't want to be corporate per se, Yep. but you know, there are systems are important. The systems are there for a reason. Well, like, um, well you, you know, know we, like they, they work people want to know what's expected mm -hmm. right and we don't know what's expected i feel like as an as an owner and operator i'm not doing my job right right because otherwise you just come into work and flounder mm -hmm. it's like hey this is how we open this is how we close here are our recipes yep i want i want people's input you know to make it fluid and make it organic you know for lack of better words right but we also have the structure that creates a system that makes it delicious and yeah. makes you as an employee give you an opportunity to have a safe place to work mm -hmm. and have a structured professional place to work. Yep. You know, we, 
we all know, you know, the analogy of like the kitchen is like a pirate ship, right? Mm-hmm. People are yelling and cursing and things are on fire and you kind of feel like you're floating a little bit. Mm-hmm. Def- been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, I'm trying to turn it into a cruise ship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's the difference. I, How's that going? Do you feel like, do you, how, how do you feel? Where are you at with that transition from pirate ship to cruise ship? Oh, I think, you know, I, I don't Pretty know. If, I don't know if we're like, you know, we're not. You know, Norwegian cruise lines at this point, but like, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're small yacht. Yeah. Cruising, gotcha, yeah. cruising along. You're a charter boat. Yeah. yeah. You're not, you're not a, the, the four diamond version. Yeah. And that's going well though, man. Yeah. I think, you know, that uh, we have really good teams. I think culture is important. Mm-hmm. I know that every company, oh, it's about the culture, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that something that, that is advantageous to our restaurants is that, you know, we are, we are really trying to walk the walk with, mm-hmm local sourcing and sustainability you know I, there's certainly a lot of restaurants all across the country that say hey we're farm to table yep and they've got local goat cheese on the menu and the big box truck rolls up at 6 a.m and they're cutting bags open yep you know we're we're getting, i see i see it all the time it drives me nuts we're getting fresh produce and fruits in and local meats and and seafood and you know we're preserving and doing you know, doing the things that my grandmother did right to honor yep. their food but to create food that's delicious and sustainable for uh for our community yeah i you know i made a conscious decision pretty early on in the five church part of our (laughs) our development that i was not going to do the farm to table thing i wasn't going to you know promote that on my menu because by the time I opened Five Church, I, I had already like I met Sammy. I was I was already deep down that <laughs> that hole of like sustainability and locality and all that. That I just believed that that's the way it should be, right? I, I shouldn't have to convince my guests that that's how I'm cooking. And I used a lot of like the PR stuff, like you were saying, you're kind of a media whore. Like that's important when you're when you're a startup. You got to get out there. For you sure. got to like get in front of anybody who will listen, so that at least they're just familiar with who you are. Um, and that's what I did with that, right? Like I'd go on, you know, Kristen Miranda's thing. Like she's a great friend now, but then, you know, I was just, we didn't know each other, but I would go on all the time and talk about whatever farm and where, how we were approaching things. And I just wanted it to be understood that that's the way you should be doing it. Like, I don't have to say, you know, this or that or local or whatever. Like, I just want people to know that that's, that's indicative of our brand. That's who we are. For sure. You know? I would say for me, a lot of that happened organically because the marketplace is, you know, it's one of the OG farm to table restaurants yeah. in the country. Yeah. And by the time you took it over, it was already, I mean, it's 40, 44 years old. So it was like 30 years old when you, when I bought it. Yeah. yeah. So that was well established. So for me, was. I thought, you know, that is, that is part of our brand and we actually are doing it and that's who we need to be projected as. And that, you know, that became part of my brand as well for mm-hmm. who I am as a chef. Yeah. So it's, it's been been an interesting ride through that too you know um i had a lot of people say oh you're so sustainable and i'm thinking i'm just a redneck from west virginia <laughs> trying to cook like my grandmother did yeah right but you know they were sustainable before that was even a buzzword right and so let's talk about that for a minute because you were talking about this earlier and it was it was kind of going around in my head i was thinking about how farm to table it's a label for for how people are cooking when, and- when papa john's is putting commercials out and say we know our farmers yeah I, I'm not buying it. Sorry. Sorry, bro. (laughs) Not buying it. Um, That's marketing. So we've got guests that will come and pay a premium for the food that we put out because we, because we are 
actively sourcing. We're trying, you know, we're meeting the farmers. We're going to the markets. We're working for local agriculture and stuff. That's how we cook, and they'll pay top dollar for it. People have been eating this way in rural West Virginia since West Virginia I mean, <laughs> existed. That's just how it was done. For sure. I'm, and it, it got me thinking, like, would those people appreciate what we're doing? Would the mom and pop farmers in rural West Virginia or Virginia or North Carolina, do they appreciate, or, uh, other than the fact of, like, pushing local agriculture and supporting their livelihood by buying produce locally and doing all that, but celebrating that that kind of cooking. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, we certainly are cooking things different than my grandmother did. Right. But there's a lot of recipes that I'm doing very similar to what she did. Yeah. We're just presenting it in a way that is um, a little more thoughtful. Yeah. Using some chefy tools, too. Yeah. We got some tools that they didn't have to, to maybe... Well, and I think that's something, and you know, this is a this is a sales pitch here in a second, right? But, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, about thoughtful about thoughtful cooking. Yep. Um, which, you know, is a, a book that I'm working on right now, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that, like, as a chef, you get to a point where you're trying to like figure your palate out. Yep. I've been wanting to write a book for a long time. I have an English major, and I was like, okay, I need to use this at some point, other than waxing and waning, you know, writing menus. Yep. And I finally, I felt like, got to the point where like okay, I think I know what my story is. And I think that, you know, what, again, similar how we cook, but is being thoughtful about how you cook, right? Thinking about where food comes from, thinking about, you know, about voting with your fork, right? Because the choices you make, not only as a chef, but an eater, have a huge impact on the planet around us. Mm -hmm. And And, and, and the hospitality and restaurant business. What kind of restaurants are in your community? Right. You know? But then also just like, you know, to the future, right? I'm, I've gotten into sustainable seafood as an advocate for that, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm from the mountains, you know, where there's trout and, you know, bass, right? Right. But I've noticed, like, when I lived in Charleston, as a great example, you know, years ago, we'd order black grouper from our fishmonger. Yep. You know, let's say, hypothetically, hey, we need 30 pounds of grouper. We'd get one 30-pound grouper. Right. Right. Years went by, and it was like 30 pounds of grouper. I got, now I got two 15-pound groupers. Yep. And then now it's, you know, multiple fish right as the years go by and like as a chef thinking and asking questions and critically thinking it's like why is that happening mm-hmm. and it's happening because we're overfishing yep right and so that kind of you know led me into thinking like as chefs we we have a really powerful uh, opportunity to to help curate the food system mm-hmm. uh, you know not only in in being a, a a leader and member in our communities but also in what we're doing to help you know, make the planet a better place. And I'm not a Greenpeace hippie, yeah. Jamie, but like, yeah. you know, I, like I said, redneck from West Virginia. Yep. I'm just, look at what my grandparents did. They they did things on their farm because, you know, if they fertilized their farm and raped the soil, they weren't able to feed themselves the next year. Right. Right. And to me, that's, that's just being thoughtful. Yep. Right. And taking care of the planet around us. And so, you know, with the book, I'm finally to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm like, I, I, going to tell my story about why i think this is important yep and so that's that's the book then that'll be the book yeah it'll be a seasonal cookbook with uh you know with some stories about sustainability sustainable food systems you know again i don't want to beat people over the head with green peace sure but i want to be able to tell a story of of that as eaters our you know our thoughtfulness and our choices Mm -hmm. really do affect the world around us yep 
How important do you think your voice is now? You, you touched on it a minute ago as, as chefs, you know, we have an opportunity, especially now. I mean, it's, it baffles my mind sometimes how like kind of celebrity status we get, you know, like I get approached in the grocery store all the time sure. and stuff. And it's kind of weird. Like I'm used to it now, but I don't like, we're just, we're just dudes. Like we're just dudes that are into food. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? And this is our way of, you know, creating a livelihood and telling our story and, and touching people and things like that. But today because of the food network because of top chef and all these other things you know chefs have this celebrity status sometimes and people really look up to them oh my god you're the guy that beat gordon ramsay yeah exactly hey, i saw you on top chef yeah and it's like i want to talk about gordon ramsay by the way i was going to get to that <laughs> but, that's but, but, like, but so so we ha you have this voice now you have this platform and it's important we use it in a good way yeah and i really believe in that um i think that you know as leaders to our teams, it's important that we use our voice to create a professional work environment, right? But as you know, leaders of our community, I think it's important that we that we help make good choices. You know, I, I I've been asked to get into politics before, you know, run for city council or do things like that. I'm yeah. like, no way. Like, <laughs> I I don't like politics, but I like policy. Yeah. And I feel like that's where you can make change is through is through policy. Things like, you know, the farm bill the Magnuson Stevens Act for sustainable seafood, uh, the Childhood Nutrition Reauthorization Act, you know, to get more more funding for schools to have healthier, better school lunches for kids. Yep. You know, those are things that I'm like, that that's actively part of what I can participate in as a chef, mm -hmm. um, and I can make change, and it's you know, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Cool. So when when the book, where are you at with that? About halfway through. Okay. So uh, we just finished some lifestyle uh, shoot for summer, which was fun. Cool. Um, got a few more things to do, and hopefully we'll have it have it completely submitted uh, by end of the year, early 23. Okay. And then, unfortunately, the publishing takes a minute. Yeah. So it will probably be out either late 23, early 24. So the book is something I'm super interested in. I'm, I'm talking with a publisher myself. I'm thinking about doing it. I've been, you know, I, think, I think that all chefs somewhere in their, like, the caverns of their ego and, and career dream of having a cookbook for right? sure um, especially with the way cookbooks are now you know you just beautiful photography just gorgeous prize books so I've always had that kind of dream too I'm, I'm starting to think about doing it what what's the process been like for you how are you approaching it are you doing it all yourself that the the material are you doing all the photography are you doing all the the writing are you testing all the recipes yourself or are you using you know, how's that working for you? What's your, I mean, I've been working this for six, seven years. Okay. You know, I've sent proposals in the, for the same book for years and was told it wasn't my time. Mm -hmm. Um, finally sent it in this past year and was said, Hey, this is your time. I thought the fuck, okay. <laughs> yeah, why now? <laughs> yeah. Why like, now? This right? isn't the best time for me. <laughs> right. But so, you know, but I'm like, all right, you know, let's, let's go, you know, let's go all in. Yep. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've got a really amazing photographer friend, Johnny Autry in Asheville. He's done a ton of cookbooks and just a badass photographer. Been a friend for a long time. Mm -hmm. We've talked about doing a cookbook together for years. Uh, but, you know, he's like, I can't write the book for you. you got to get the proposal accepted. Mm -hmm. So we did, and he said, let's do this. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a beautiful book. Cool. Yeah. 
but the writing, you know, I have an English degree, so uh, so you want to do the writing. And I'm sure, as you're seeing on on your podcast today, the bullshit flows. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So, um, so I'm writing the book. So the myself. editing's gonna be the hard part. The like, getting, get, the... getting the writing done won't be the hard part. It's <laughs> the editing. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, you know, and, and the recipes. I mean, you know, fortunately, I've been cooking for a long time. I've got a number of restaurants. You know, how many standardized recipes do you have in your in, you know, in your repertoire. A lot. A lot. But so, which ones are going to tell the story that you want to tell? That's, well, and I, I think that's also the thoughtful cooking, the cooking in the moment, right? Cooking seasonally is that I've got all these different recipes, and it's just creating the formula to put it all together. How many How many recipes are you going to have in your book, do you think? Roughly? Uh, probably about 100. 100. So that's pretty That's pretty substantial. Like, that's, yeah. a, lot of, that's a lot of material. That's a lot of material, yeah. Have you... Do you have your outline? Are you like, do you like, do you know what the recipes are going to be now? Or are you still kind of working through that or? Yeah. I mean, there, there may be a couple things I may tweak, you know, in terms of an ingredient that I couldn't find for a photo shoot. So I'll end up having to tweak the recipe a little bit. Right. But you, but you have the nuts and bolts of like the dishes that you want to tell the story. Yeah. That, I say that was the hard part was writing the proposal, architecting out the whole book, um, knowing the recipes, knowing what the, you know, what dishes you wanted to highlight and stuff exactly what the story is we're going to tell that you know that took a lot of time to curate but yeah um i feel like at this point it's the book is kind of writing itself yeah good which is good yeah that's awesome yeah so you're halfway through took you about six years to get to this point (laughs) yeah you think you're gonna wrap it up by the end of the year i hope so yeah yeah i'm actually uh next week gonna go back home to west virginia my folks have a place in uh, greenbrier county cool um and i'm gonna go hole off for a week and try to bang out the rest of it nice yeah cool um but i I think that's also something that takes like you gotta just like put the blinders on and just yeah go in, get in your own head so what is that what's your process for that do you have to like shut do you have to like pull out of the ops for a minute and like kind of stay away from the restaurants for a second you know, lock yourself in a, in a, I tell my team, you know, don't call me. I'll call you. Yeah. If it's burning down, here's a number for the insurance company. Yeah. <laughs> don't call me for that either. You're going to mess with my mojo. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It's just, you know, taking the time to, you know, again, go on that vision quest. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, you need to be able to like clear your brain, mm-hmm. right. You know, if you're thinking about, you know, finances, you're thinking about, you know, menu change, right. Like you're not going to focus. Right. You know, you're working on a couple restaurants right now too. Yeah, it's a you know when it rains it pours. So, <laughs> why do we do this to ourselves? Like, there's always many irons in the fire, right? Like, it's like I want to retire one day, chef. Yeah, I heard that. Me yeah. too. Me too. So, how's that? Is that how's that coming along? What is your plan for that? And what and what are the concepts going to be? Yeah. So it's funny. Um, as we were opening Haymaker, I got approached by a friend of mine who does the food service management for North Carolina Zoo. Okay. And he said, hey, we want you to open a restaurant at the zoo. And I'm like, marketplace restaurant. Yeah, you're like, huh? Do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> you know, tongue in cheek, right? But they, uh, they said, we want you to open a marketplace cafe. And I thought, it's the zoo in Ashboro. Like, you know, what if it rains? What if it's winter and it's snowing? You know, all this like farm to table, fresh produce. It's not very sustainable. We're going to have a lot of food waste. Right. I started talking with the folks there and I said, you know, I'm open to, to collaborating on a restaurant, but like, let's talk about who comes here. It's like church groups, school groups, families, children. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I got kids. They like chicken tenders and French fries. Yeah. You know, I said, yeah. let's do fried chicken with a purpose. And they said, Oh, we like that. Like local source chicken, you know, you know, local dairy, eggs, produce, um, but small curated menu. 
it's funny. They said, what do you want to call it? I said, I don't fucking know. Billy D's fried chicken. And they, <laughs> they were, were like, like, that's perfect. They were like, dude, that's got a ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's been good, man. You know, we've, um, we've put on our brunch menu at Haymaker and used that as kind of a, you know, a testing opportunity, put on a brunch menu marketplace, keep winning best fried chicken sandwich, both cities. Nice. Uh, the zoo is like been doing great. Yeah. Um, and so my, you know, one of my COVID pivots was like, I love fine dining, but I'm looking at like the bandwidth I'm able to create off the quick service model. Mm-hmm. Where it's the same philosophy we're doing putting into our fine dining restaurants, locally sourced, sustainable. You know, we're using chefy techniques, but at the end of the day, it's fried chicken. Yeah, right. Um, and people love it, and it's been it's really taken off. And it's you know, part of my ego is like. I put so much blood, sweat, and tears in these fine dining restaurants, and this fried chicken concept is like going bonkers. Yep, <laughs> but it's it's cool, man. Um, yeah. So we actually have one we're getting ready to open, Elon University, okay. uh, hopefully here in the next month, and then uh, we're looking to open one at Wake Forest University also. Nice. Um, you know, I think that's the, the thing I've looked at is like, you know, cook for the masses, right? Right. Where are they at? Right. <laughs> Where are the Col- masses? College campuses. Yeah. Nice. Um, Smart. And so, so we're working on that, and I'm hoping to keep building that and hopefully get to a point where I can start franchising it out. Yeah, um, cool. And then... Um, That's a whole nother ball of wax. You say that now. Okay, we're circling back in a few <laughs> years, and I'm going to ask you about the franchising thing. You'll be like, chick for who? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because, I mean, that's going to be a whole nother, like, level of, of red tape and shit right. to deal with, and especially something that you know, has a purpose like that, right? Like it's not just a good fried chicken sandwich. Like you're trying to stand for something. Exactly. And then when you franchise that out, like that's, that, how do you, how do you control that? How do you, I don't want to think about it. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. Well, and then to throw more fuel in the fire, I've got another concept we're rolling out this year. Also, it's called little gem. Oh yeah. And so it's going to be another quick service concept, local source, sustainable, but like rice bowls, salad bowls, uh, a couple sandwiches. Are you partnering up with any uh, farmers that you know to do this, or is it going to be you'll you'll it'll be local within a some radius that you you? Yeah, m- most everything will be within about two hundred miles of the restaurants. Okay, but you don't have specific farmers that you're like, hey, let's I'm going to need X heads of of greens or whatever. Um, not at this point, no. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of I think as you know, with working with small farms and smaller smaller demographics, you kind of have to. Yeah. Choose and, you know, (laughs) put the math together, right. To make sure you got enough inventory. Yep. Yeah. You can't rely on on any row of anything. Right. (laughs) You never know what's going to happen. Right. Uh, Climate change is real. Yeah, for sure. But the, but say, you know, that that's been really fun kind of working on those different concepts. Um, What's your timeline for, for little gem? Hopefully this fall. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're pretty far along on it oh yeah yeah i mean and we got where's that gonna be that will also that will actually be at the north carolina zoo okay cool so largest zoo in north america uh two thousand acres billy d's is at uh kind of the back side of the zoo and then little jim will be right at the front entrance are you going to be able to to um use any of like the the produce and stuff that's going out as like the feed for the for the animals so there's like zero waste I, you know i hopefully hopefully we don't even have that much waste yeah uh, we um we will compost all those things. Yeah. But I, you know, I think with the, with the animals at the zoo, they're on pretty strict diets. <laughs> you can't just throw the greens back there and be like, here you go. Well, it's funny. That's, <laughs> you know, with the Billy D's concept, you know, initially I was going to do bone in fried chicken, Yep. but the zoo, you can't have bones because if some kid 
throws their drumstick oh. into the monkeys. You know, yeah, I didn't monkey even think chokes of that. on it like that's, uh, a, that's a good point. It's a pretty big lawsuit. Yeah, I would say. Uh, but it's actually kind of helped curate the brand, um, right? Which has been great too. Wow, interesting. I didn't even think of that. Cool. Well, we're we're at an hour twenty. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, it's always just good catching up. You know, yeah. I love as you can tell, I can blow hot air and talk food all day. It's yeah. um, you know, like you, really passionate about what I do. Yeah, uh, passionate about local food and um, excited, you know, about what's ahead. I think, I think you know, the past few years, right, we're just trying to stay the course, and I yeah. feel like I'm finally starting to come up for air a little bit. Yeah, um, I'm pretty excited about what's ahead. You know, I'm, I'm cool. Last few years were a little, you know, there were a few dark spots along the way. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm actually glad we didn't talk about those today because like, that's kind of been a theme with a lot of the guests. And for us as a group, too, is, is you know, this has been definitely the story has been about growth and all that. And that's really exciting that we didn't even touch on that. The, the black hole that has been the past two years. Positive, positive mental outlook, man. Yeah. You know, when you're on that vision quest, like there are speed bumps and it's inevitable. Yeah. But you know, put your head down, wake up, the sun is shining, weather is sweet. Let's go, let's go get this money. <laughs> I like it. Go get it. You got to chase it down. <laughs> I love it. All right, chef. Thanks for, um, thanks for sharing your story, man. I'm really excited about the book, the new concepts. Um, I'll definitely follow up with you and stuff. Um, keep track of that stuff and uh, maybe we can sit down again once you kind of get, get the book launched and we'll, we'll talk about how that, I want my signed copy and we can, <laughs> We can maybe we'll do a little cook off. That sounds we, good. We can grab, oh, we didn't talk about the cook off. Oh well, we damn uh, it. Let's talk about the cook off. I want to talk right, about right. <laughs> how was so. So you did a little thing. I did a little thing beginning of the uh, pandemic. Geo. Yep. Um, I kept getting these emails in like April and May of 2020. Yep. Hi, chef. Uh, we'd like you to be on Gordon Ramsay's TV show. You know, and it was from not you know, just somebody at Gmail. Yep. And I'm like spam. Like mm-hmm. we're in lockdown globally. Right. Uh, beginning of June, I got a phone call and they said, we've been trying to reach you for two months. Do you want to do this TV show? Like I mentioned before, you know, I'd been asked to do some other big national TV shows and just, I've done some stuff along the way that's been good, but it was never really my thing. Right. You know, when you're about to feel like you're about to lose it all though, I was yeah. like, I'll do whatever. I'm, I'm your Huckleberry. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I signed up for it. And it was like, hey, you're going to be an ambassador for Appalachia and Western North Carolina, and you're going to take Gordon Ramsay, you know, the most famous chef in the world, around, um, you know, through your region, showcasing the best of the best. And I knew, you know, the show's on Nat Geo, so I knew it wasn't going to be a bunch of yep. pomp and circumstance and fluff, right? Yep. And so I was like, wow, this is like, this can be sweet. And then, you know, I signed my contract and got everything going. And they're like, oh, and by the way, um, there's a cook-off at the end of the show with Gordon. And I'm like, oh, y'all got me. Like, <laughs> you thought you were just going to be hiking through the woods picking ramps? Right. Come on. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so it was cool, man. Um, you know, I, I redneck from West Virginia. I've got a big lifted-up truck with a winch bumper and all that. You know, and, the, and being the show, I take Gordon out, and he, you know, true Gordon Ramsay fashion, he repels down this waterfall. You yeah. know, and it's like makes makes an epic entrance. Yeah. Um, he and I go fly fishing, which is pretty rad. Yeah. And the show, the folks in the show, you know, what, everything was unscripted, but they did say, you're going to have a cook-off. Beginning of the show, we'd like you to make a bet with Chef Ramsay. Kind of get the, you know, get the drama going. Yep. They had no idea what I was going to bet, and they just said, you guys figure it out. Yeah. And so we were fishing, and we said, look, Chef, um, you know, you're going to need uh, you're gonna need a truck to get around the region. Why don't you use mine? It's big lift-up truck, winch bumper, mud yeah. tires, like, matures. Yeah. Uh, but I said, look, we got a cook-off at the end of the show. Why don't we make a little wager? 
if I win the cook-off, you fly my family and I to London and feed us at your namesake restaurant, um, yep. you know, Michelin three-star, you know, 20 courses. It'll be amazing. If you win, you get the truck. <laughs> nice. And he said, let's do it. Come on. Is it is the is the bet legit? It was legit. Really? Although I still haven't got my my invitation to London yet. What? I know. Gordon, do you hear? Yeah, it? if you're yeah, listening, you're listening. I, Gordon's not listening. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe one of his people. If is. your publicist is yeah. listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we want that dinner. Can I go with you? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> How many people are going on this dinner? Uh, well, we didn't get just... that in the fine print. Uh, okay, so, so. But so, yeah, so, you know, he goes around the region, you know, he, uh, he makes moonshine, he goes foraging for mushrooms, he goes to meet with uh, indigenous Cherokee to learn about uh, hominy and and whatnot. And then he and I meet on top of a 6,000 foot mountain and have a cook off over, you know, wood fire and um, nice. And I beat his ass. Nice. Good job, chef. Love you. Represent. Love you. Mean it, Gordon. Yeah. (laughs) Way to represent Appalachia. Yeah, man. There you go. I nailed it. it. I told you by the end I would get it. Nailed it. But awesome. so it was cool, man. You know, we, we had the cook off and he said, you know, nobody's beaten me yet. And I was like, nice. Wow. You know, and honestly, at the time I was so shell shocked with COVID and what was happening. I was like, I'm, I thought I was going bankrupt. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that was cool. And then, you know, almost a year later, the show came out and it was like. It, so it aired just um, the beginning of the month, right? Like, was it June or July? Was it the beginning uh, in of July, July? In July. Last last year. Oh, last year. Last Sorry. Year. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it aired and it was like. I mean, I've gotten a lot of good press along my along my career. Yeah, I'm very. I feel very grateful for all that. This happened, and like, I've never had this much PR in my life. Like, it just blew up. And, awesome. You know, social media following, and you know, articles every day, and get you know, going on the local news, and you know, stories in Forbes magazine, and it was like, holy crap! Like, yeah. wow! Like, TV is real. It is real. Yeah. I mean, it I is. know preaching the choir here with Top Chef, but yeah. like, it's not the end all be all in my career, but right damn if it didn't open some pathways up for sure thank you gordon yeah yeah (laughs) thank you and thank you for winning and and representing representing uh uh our community and stuff and getting getting that stuff out there it's important it was cool i think the i think the power move in the cook-off was um i took a spanish ham stand and put a benton's 26 month age country ham on it nice again redneck from west virginia i've done an ice loser too in my life (laughs) yeah we cut a v channel in the ham and then I lose some um, 14-year-old bourbon down it for my friends at Smooth Angler. Oh, nice. And I made Gordon take a shot of it. Oh, and that's think, so perfect. I think it threw him off his yeah, game. Yeah, he was a little – he wasn't on his A game. Yeah. Nice. Well done. Yeah. But he was – I'll tell you, though, he was an amazing human being. Yeah. You know, we um, because of the COVID sanctions when we were filming, I got to spend a fair amount of time with him. Yeah. And he's like a big kid. I mean, the guy's in his 50s, but like, I mean, just all yeah. over the place, ADD all the time. Mm-hmm. But he took a lot of time to sit down and talk with me, which was pretty cool. You know, he was his restaurants were going through the same. Yeah. Right. He's obviously at a much higher caliber and Brazilian restaurants and different, you know, cash flow, et cetera. But like he, you know, they were still going with shutdown. Yep. Um, They were at the time we filmed were filming all of uh, England was locked down. Wow. So his restaurants there were closed. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he was probably stuck in the U.S. probably at that point, was, too. Yeah. 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 And so, um, you know, he mentioned to me, we were talking, I was kind of busting balls, and I was like, really an asshole? <laughs> like, all the stuff on TV. Yeah. He said, oh, Williams, like, watch my British shows. I'm cheeky, but down to earth. He yeah. said, you know, man, he said, you Americans love drama. Yeah. He said, drama pays the bills. <laughs> yeah. I said, heard. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think the reality is, like, he's probably not all that different in the kitchen than any one of us, right? Like somebody disrespects a dish or an ingredient or whatever you lose your shit. Right. You know, but, but 
when it's fun, it's fun, and that's it's how we enjoy ourselves. Yeah, I, mean, I think probably similar to to any chef earlier in his yeah. career, you know, you haven't had those ten thousand experiences, right? Right. So you're trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. and when things happen, you don't have the skill set or the, you know, or the knowledge or the lexicon to. Yeah. be professional right but maybe you're a little more uh also let's not forget that his mentor was marco pierre white right okay right. <laughs> it was like probably the most vicious yeah. chef of all time but i mean he he was honestly he was a, a sweetheart yeah i mean that's really down to earth and like took time to chat and like it just it was a good dude yeah awesome but i'm still man. waiting on my trip to london gordon <laughs> i hope you get it soon and we'll talk about it on the podcast when you come back that sounds we'll, good we'll, man. We'll, we'll do a little critique yeah man. <laughs> awesome thanks chef Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Talk to you soon. Yeah.